0: Grab your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of John. That's going to be in your New Testament. I didn't look at the page number. If you're new to your Bible, we have some Bibles. If you didn't bring one with you, or if you're new to the Bible, uh, you can use ours. Down the middle rows of seats, there will be a a couple Bibles stacked underneath the chair there. It's on page 576. We'll be mostly there throughout the duration of our time together today. The Gospel of John, we're going to read uh, chapter 1, verse 1 through 5 together. That'll be our text for this morning. And we're going to read these verses out loud together. So you can read from your, your literal Bible, or you can cheat and look at your smartphone or your app, whatever. Or read it on screen. Let's read together. In the beginning was the Word, And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for the gathering of your church. We thank you for your Word. And I pray very simply, God, that you would reveal to us uh, Jesus, the word today, that you would open our minds to the revelation of who he is, what he's doing in both the world, our lives today, the story that John is telling about him and how it intersects with who we are as people. We pray that in Jesus' great name. Everyone said amen and amen. I don't know about you, but I love stories. I think we all love stories. They draw us in. And one of the reasons why we all love to go to the movies, or if you don't go to the movies, watch Netflix or Amazon Prime or, I mean, Hulu, Vudu, all those things that we, we used. I mean, that, hadn't like Netflix and that stuff changed the way we view TV? But one of the reasons why we love to, to watch movies is that movies tell the stories of people's lives. You know, there's something great about um, just a good movie that we love the the love story the the adrenaline of an action movie or perhaps uh i mean maybe you're in the horror movies and just being you know scared out of your mind the battle between good and evil the cliffhanger i mean all those things i mean just grab us and they draw us in you know sometimes we will even sit through movies that just are are awful because we just i mean the story's unfolding and even if it's just a bad script. We'll sit there and watch it. Um, this isn't a part of my sermon, but I think it'll be fun to do. We're going to take a minute. Turn to the person to your left or right. Don't you hate it when pastors do that? If if it's just your family around you, might have to like turn around and, and say it to the, per- the the family behind you. Have you do you ever like you nothing to do? You're sitting at home. You're flipping through the channels, or you got your your laptop open and you're just going through Netflix. And every time you pass by a certain movie, it might be your favorite movie or one that you just love to see or a certain scene, and even if it's like 10 minutes left, you'll, you'll watch it. So no, Dan, appease me anyway. All right, turn to the person near you, tell them what your favorite movie is or that movie that if, if it's like 10 minutes left, I'm, I'm still going to watch to see how it ends. Go ahead and do that, one minute. All right, that's enough. That's enough. Cut that stuff out. Bring it in. So, I don't know. Anybody hear of a movie that you had never heard before? Anybody hear somebody talk about a movie that, that sounds interesting. I think I might, I might go check that out or at least put it up on Netflix or something. Here's here's my movie. It, it's, it's Gladiator. That's like my favorite all-time if it's like two seconds left, I'm gonna stay on the channel and watch it. And this is my favorite scene. You know, I mean, you know so the movie's like three quarters of the way through, and and Maximus he's doing his gladiator thing. He's just defeated some other foe, and it's when Commodus wants to come down and meet, you know, the the gladiator. And so Commodus comes. Commodus, the emperor, comes down, and Maximus has his back turned, and he turns around, and uh, and and Commodus realizes it's. It's him. It's Maximus. And so he says, He says, my name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, general of the, of, of the Felix legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered murdered wife, and I'll have my vengeance in this life or the life to come. I mean, that That scene gets me every time. And I will watch the whole movie or I will stop right on a dime just to see Um, You know, just that part. Perhaps you have um, a movie like that as well. What I'm getting at, just in having us do that, really it didn't have anything to do with the sermon, but I thought it would be fun. You know, but check it out. Our lives are stories. We are living stories. There's a beginning when you're born. There will be an end. There's character development. You're one of the characters. There's protagonists and antagonists. There's, there's, conflicts that that sometimes get resolved sometimes they don't there's there's hills and valleys all kinds of things happening in the life of your story and that really is our lives are stories and we're drawn to the stories that other people live when you think about the story of your life if you walk into a movie theater and I mean you got the shot of you you see yourself on the big screens like the story of me I mean would that be a good thing I mean, perhaps you, I mean, your money's good, your relationship's good, your work is good, and you walk in and saw yourself. It's like, oh my God, I want a big screen. I mean, you run back out, get some popcorn, a drink, and then sit down. It's like, check me out. I'm like, so cool. But maybe you're here, and I mean, life is just like, it's rotten. It's not going in a direction that you want it to go. Um, you don't even know, I mean, just life is it's just hard. You don't know how to even get yourself out of the rut that you're in. Perhaps if you saw yourself on the big screen, you might run out because you just don't want to see your life portrayed in that way. You know, we, we're beginning a study in the, the gospel of John. We actually began it last week. We will dive into the, the beginning portion of his gospel today. And and John This is what John is doing. He's conveying a story to us. It's the story of God. That really is what the Bible is. It's the story of God, and John hones in on the central character in all the Bible. He hones in on Jesus, and John does this neat thing. He shows how just snapshots of Jesus' story interacts with different people and their own stories. John's purpose is to show us Jesus, his life, his signs, his miracles, his deity— And and by so doing, John shows us what happens when a life, a life like yours and mine, when it encounters Jesus. John shows us what can happen when we believe after that encounter happens. John's story begins as most stories begin. It begins in the beginning. John uses those words, in the beginning. Actually, John does more than that. John starts off by answering the questions that we want to know about a person when we first meet him. I mean, who are you? What's your name? What do you do? He does that in what, what commentators call a prologue. These first 18 verses of John are simply a prologue, an introduction. John is taking the time and he's laying out in 18 verses everything he's going to talk about in the rest of the book. And there's about six themes in this prologue that John develops throughout the rest of the 21 chapters of of John. It's stuff like light and life. John will talk about Jesus being life and light. We'll look at that today. John talks about the witness, that those people that encounter Jesus in some way become witnesses of of who he is and his deity, of his glory. They're changed forever, and they go and share that as a testimony with other people. John talks about the world in, in verse 10, and he'll unfold that in the rest of the book. The world being the world system, all those things about us that are opposed to God. John talks about the glory and the truth of God that comes to us in the form of Jesus Christ. But, but really in this prologue, especially what we'll unfold unpack today, John, John shows us this, this entity of the Word, this the Word that was with God in the very beginning that comes into the sphere of time and history. John tells us about the Word, the one, the Son of God who was sent into the world to become the Jesus of history that we know, that grace and truth I mean, is, is revealed to us because of what we know about Jesus. And so there's really two themes amongst these themes that I just mentioned that we'll look at here in, this, uh, in our text today. Uh, and the first is Jesus is the Word. John wants us to know that. Jesus is the the word, verse one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was with God, and the word was God. There's, there's three things John wants us to know right here in the, the, the first verse of John chapter one. He says, "In the beginning." I mean, those words sound familiar to you. If you if you know a little bit about the Bible, those words mirror; they mimic what we see in the Old Testament. John begins. His his story of Jesus' life, by recalling the very beginning of creation, he goes back to Genesis chapter one, verse one, where in the, in, under the words of Moses we read, "In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth." See the see the semblance in the beginning, God. In the beginning was the Word. John says, and and John he's saying a he's saying a couple things at least. First, he's connecting the, the testaments. He's connecting the Old Testament with the the New Testament. He says the Old Testament is not just unveiling history for itself. It's pointing at something. It's pointing to a greater revelation that, in this case, is fulfilled in Jesus. And he's saying the New Testament is looking back and giving greater clarity to something that's said many, many years ago in the Old Testament. But it's still talking about Jesus. In, in, talking about, in, in pointing to Genesis, John is authenticating that the world that we live in, that we know, it has an absolute beginning. That's what he's talking about. But mostly here, what he's saying is, is as we keep reading, this, the beginning, the, the word was already there. He echoes that in verse 2. Verse 2 says, he was in the beginning with God. And so this figure, the word was there. In the next phrase, John says, and the word was with God. And so the word was with God in the very beginning. And so what that tells us is, you know, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of religions that say that that there's no difference between Jesus and God. They're not separate entities. They're just different manifestations that appear at different times in the course of the history of the world. What John is doing is is he's saying, if you believe that Jesus and God are the same, then you're a heretic. He's saying the word was with God. That means that they are distinct, separate persons. And thirdly, John tells us the word was God. In other words, the word was divine. The significance of, of all this is he's forming the basis for the Trinity. We talked uh, uh, you know, a few minutes about that last week. The word Trinity doesn't appear in our Bible. You can flip through the whole thing. You'll never see it. But there's a revelation of who God is from cover to cover that the God of the universe, the God of the Bible, is one God that exists in three persons. And John is telling us that Jesus is the second person is the second person of the Trinity, that he's one of those persons. Here's, here's the, the, the big idea behind this verse. John is, is saying that everything I'm going to tell you after this, that I'm going to write about Jesus and his story, that this my whole gospel should be read in the in the light of the word that the word was 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 in the beginning he was with God that he was God John is telling us that the deeds and the words of Jesus are the deeds and the words of God It's interesting John doesn't tell us who the word is until halfway through the first chapter in in his gospel we see a glimpse of it along the way. Verse 14, he says, "And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us." The word flesh here is is the the Greek word sarx which in context means human body. And so he's saying the word took on um, took on a human body. And the very first time that John even says the word Jesus in connection to Um, What he's unfolding here in chapter one is verse 17. In verse 17, he says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And in verse 18, he goes on to say, you've never seen God, the only God, but he's at the father's side. He's made him known. So this entity, the word who was with God and was God has made God known. If if we were to literally restate what John is saying in verse one. This is what it would say. In the beginning was Jesus. Jesus was with God. Jesus was God. That's what John is saying. He's connecting He's connecting all that goes on in our world to Jesus. Jesus is the word. Um, verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so John says, not only is the word, not only is Jesus divine, He's also the creator of the universe. This this Jesus that John is presenting is is the creator, the central figure of all that we know and have, that we've read in the Old Testament about how the world came about. Jesus was the one doing it, and so when the when the, the when the Bible says that God said, "Let there be light," I mean, who do you think was the one making light? It was Jesus. The Word was making that light in Genesis one three. When God, when God says, Let us make man in our image, and we're like, Who in the world is us? Who's he talking to? Jesus is speaking to the word in Genesis 126. When the psalmist teaches, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made. And when the psalmist says in Psalm 107, He sent out His Word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction, he's talking about the Word. Jesus is the Word. The, the New Testament uses all kinds of names. For Jesus. Of course, his disciples called him rabbi or teacher or or master, but all these other names that we see in the New Testament about Jesus, son of God, comforter, healer. Jesus, um, his preferred name for himself was son of man, which he took from the, the, the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. They call him Messiah, Christ. John doesn't open his gospel using any of those. John calls him Instead he says the word I mean what is a word have you, I mean, have you thought about that? I mean, what is a word if you are uh, have done some post high school study um, gotten into graduate school, then you are forced to study morphology and etymology, which is the der- the derivation of words, and we learned that. Every language is made up of words. The basic building block of the human language are words. Uh, our, words are our means of communicating to other people. A word is spoken, a word is written, so that others can, stand, can, can understand who I am, what I'm, trying to, um, what I'm like, how I feel, all that I'm trying to convey. We could not have language if we did not have words. Authors and writers convey their stories via words. And, and so this means to us, I mean, words mean something. Um, have you ever experienced something, and I mean, it was just an awesome experience, and you just don't have the words to explain it, like you had a, a huge football game, your team is winning, and it's just like the most, it's like the an electric atmosphere. The crowd is like just going crazy because your team, you know, you, you're all on the same team and everything's going well, and you might call up one of your friends, and it's like, dude you're missing it this is like awesome and you, i mean you, you don't even have any words to explain what's going on after that and the person is like oh, all right yeah i'll see you when you get home you can tell me about it later or, or perhaps you've you've gone to your favorite restaurant i mean just like a restaurant that you happen upon And everything from, like, the greeting you got when you went to the door to the customer service to the appetizers, the drinks, the food, it's just like, I mean, it's like, this was just a wonderful experience. And you go and try and communicate that to your spouse or maybe a good friend, and and they're like, yeah, oh, I heard about that restaurant. What do you think about this? It's like, come on, dude, you ruined the experience. A buddy of mine, uh, a pastor friend of mine in North Carolina, he he found a, a restaurant that he loved. He and his wife would frequent it like a couple times a week. And then he started taking all of his friends. I'm not going to tell you what kind of food it was because it might turn you off to this. But he invited me. All right. And so I respected this. He's like a buddy. Of, I mean, like a dude. He was like a buddy of mine. We, we did a lot of stuff together and i really respected his food choices and so we go to this restaurant it was it wasn't a hole in the wall but it wasn't necessarily like going to like thrill me the way it looked we walk in buffet kind of setting we sat down and we ordered we ordered his special meal that he had like used some brilliant words to explain to me that like this is you got to eat this and so we got it i ordered it i ordered it just the way he told me to order it and then i took one little sip bite it was like a, a soup kind of thing and I almost spit it out. It was like, <laughs> I, I actually couldn't even finish the meal. It was just that bad. His words had drawn me in so carefully that I, I, just, I had to go try this thing, this dish, this food, this restaurant that he painted such a brilliant picture of. Unfortunately, his words didn't match the, <laughs> the experience. Words are, words are hugely important. And, and this gives us a clue as to why John uses the word. John uses the Lagos, he uses the word Lagos, which is the Greek word for word. It conveyed a similar thought to multiple audiences. John used a word that the Greeks could understand and that the Jews would understand because they were the people that he, were, that he had come to reveal himself to. To the Jews, the Lagos was draped in Old Testament meaning. And so a Jew heard the word, word, the Lagos, and they knew that that was the way that God created the universe. A Jew knew that the word was given to the prophet from God so that the prophet could reveal God and his will to them. In the Old Testament, God is constantly speaking words, saying, I'm your provision, I'm your hope, I'm your king, I'm your redeemer, your protector, your leader, your shepherd. God is shouting these words out through creation He's using the prophets to convey them, and the the Old Testament people weren't, I mean, they weren't different than us. They're hearing all these things, and they're either turning a deaf ear to it, or they're not listening at all. The people acted as if they did not hear God's words, and the Greeks really were no different. The Greeks, they were hung up on philosophy, and they believed in multiple gods. The Greeks had a God for everything for the rain, and for sun, and for good crops, and for blessings in my life, or for sex, or to have babies. They had a God that they went to for everything. And so for the Greeks, the logos was, was that entity that shaped, uh, that shaped and ordered and directed the universe. And so when, when in the providence of God, Jesus shows up. God, there's a, there's a there's a time that God says, you know what? These people aren't listening. And so there has to be a more effective word given. And God in his providence gives them Jesus. He gives us Jesus. Jesus comes into the world and he says to the Jew, if you want to know who God is, look at the word. And he says to the Greek, if you want to know what the rational principle of how everything exists in your universe is, look to the word. God sends Jesus from heaven to the brokenness of life on our earth. And so Jesus in all of his ways and in all of his words, he would give the perfect display of who God is and what he's like. And so when people look at at Jesus, they would see this is what God is like. When they saw him forgiving and healing and showing mercy and being kind, they could say, This is what God does. When they see Jesus leading the way he led, they could see, This is the way God leads us with power and miracles, but also with with compassion. Jesus was the perfect expression of God's heart to humanity, communicating God's love. For people like you and me, people who are broken, who need to be rescued from our sin. John says, Jesus is the word. That's, that's the greatest. I mean, what does a word do? A word communicates so that we understand what people are saying or what they're trying to, what they're trying to convey or how, even how they feel. And God communicates to us through the word. God communicates to us through Jesus The writer of Hebrews says this very clearly. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, right hand of the majesty on high. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is the word. It's it's Jesus coming to earth, becoming a man, the word becoming flesh. John is telling us God is communicating to us through Jesus. You know, it's as if God is saying, I'll go through whatever extreme I need to go through. Even the point of removing the second person of the Trinity, my son, from an eternal existence to bring him into the darkness of your life on earth to show you that I love you. God is speaking very clear words to us. I love you. To an extreme measure, Jesus is the word. The second theme that John shows us here in, in these first five, five verses is that Jesus is the life and the light. We see that in verse four and five. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse five, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so John is telling us that Jesus embodies both light excuse me, both both life and light. Jesus, I mean, he has all life in himself. He has physical life, biological life. Here John is is really centering on spiritual life, and he'll call it in his gospel eternal life. An existence that does not end because we're with Jesus. We're with God. And the way that Jesus gives life to us is through his word. And that really is the connection that John is trying to make in these first five verses. The, the connection between Jesus being the word and us having life and light in us is that it's through God's word that Christ's life comes into us. That's why it's important for you to read the word. The word is an entity, but the word is also the way that God is communicating who he is to you. And when you avail yourself to it, it it's miraculous. It gives you life. The psalmist says it like this. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who delights, I'm skipping a couple words, delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. And we we studied this this psalm last summer in our our uh, series in the Psalms, and the the psalmist is giving this beautiful picture of uh, you know it's like this evergreen tree that always has fruit when it's supposed to. Its leaves never ever it doesn't experience the the transitions of. Of the, of the seasons because it's connected to this eternal source that always makes it green and growing. And so his word to us is if you want to be green, I don't know if we want to be green and growing. If you want to be, you know, if you want to be sustainable forever, then you got to be connected to the word. If you want to be flourishing with spiritual life is, is the right way to say it. We need to be drinking. We need to be connected to the source of life, which is God's word. John continues, the life in Jesus comes as light shining in darkness. I mean, have you ever thought about this? I mean, what does light do? What do the lights in this room do The light, you know, the the eternal light, the sun that's shining? What does it do? One of the things it does is it reveals. um, We come into a room, and if it's dark, one of the first things that we do, we turn on the lights. Isaiah 9 says this, Isaiah 9 uh, verse 2, The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. John is conveying, Isaiah helps us understand, man, uh, we live in spiritual darkness. Ever since the fall of Genesis 3, life for us, it's dark. It's a spiritual darkness, and we feel it in everything that we do. Man without God is ignorant about himself, and we live really in lives of superstition and and this is what John is telling us: Jesus comes to reveal God, and so light um, light reveals, but it also guides in the Old Testament. One of the ways that we see light manifesting is the the Israelites as that you know they were slaves in Egypt, and God appears as uh a glory cloud, okay, a pillar of cloud by day. Um, a pillar of fire by night, and he guided them through the desert, okay, out of, out of the wilderness, eventually into the promised land by the light. And, and many scholars would say this light was, I mean, it was the, the spirit, the very spirit of God, the, the third person of the Trinity. In the New Testament, we learned that the spirit of God is, is the spirit of Jesus. There's this is technical term, circumcision, circumcision, that the, the that God is in the in Jesus, Jesus is in God, they're both in the Holy Spirit. They're, they're separate entities, different persons, but they exist in each other. So when we see the Spirit, it's Jesus giving us that spirit. And so the the way that God guided them was by the you know the light of the Holy Spirit through the through the Old Testament. The psalmist says in Psalm 119. This is one of the first verses I learned when I was a new Christian. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And here, this is a dual picture. Uh, if you're ever driving down a street, you see the, the the street lights, and they will give uh, a broad light to 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 navigate your way. You're driving down an interstate. You, we don't notice this. We have the, you know, a little bit of light from the headlights of our car, but there are also street lights that light the way. So this is a, uh, he's saying the the light of God is lighting our journey over the, the broad way of it. But then he also gives us a picture that light is it's like a singular lamp. It's like whatever your favorite chair is in your house that you might go to to, to do a quiet time or just to sit and, and be alone. It's uh, the, the, the light of God is that particular to you. So it can light your, the, the journey of your life, but it also can be local to, to help you navigate the, the nuances of your every day. John says in chapter 8, verse 12, we'll get to this in several weeks. Jesus spoke to them saying, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus says, he said, I'm not just a street light or a little lamp. I'm lighting up the whole world. As we come to Jesus in faith and begin to follow him as a disciple, he will be a light to guide you. That's what John is trying to convey to us. The last image that John gives us is one of darkness. Verse five. Verse five. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Life and light in the Bible are opposites of death and darkness. And what John is trying to remind us of is is that there's a battle that rages around us. I mean, if if you think about it, the world world that we live in, it's very dark. Turn on the nightly news. Read the front page of uh, of the newspaper. Get in your car. Drive down, 90, drive up or down ninety-five in rush hour. We're reminded that the world is dark; it's all around us. Here's the specificity of John's words, though. It's not just the world around us is dark. He's saying that we're—I mean—we're dark. Without Jesus, there's darkness in in us. So much so that there's a battle that rages in us. John will say in John three nineteen, and this is the judgment. This is Jesus speaking. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. And so, this is what light does for us, and this is Jesus. This is this is the work of Jesus in all of our lives it exposes the darkness in us. I've heard old saints say this all the time. The closer, that I mean, the longer they walk with Jesus, the closer they feel to Jesus, the more sinful they feel. Because why? Because the, the, more you, the closer you are to the presence of God, the manifest presence of God, the more you realize how holy he is and how unholy, I mean, just how holy you're not. Is that the right way to say it? You're reminded of the brilliance of the glory of God, that this light that comes, that emanates from Jesus and his person, and you can't help but be reminded of how dark your life and your heart really are. Jesus' light exposes our darkness for what it is. And so there's a real battle going on. And if I can go back to my, you know, the very beginning, when I talked about movies and stories, you know, that really is why we're drawn to stories. We like there to be conflict. We like to see the juxtaposition of light and dark. Have you ever thought about this? If you, I mean, some of the movies that we hate are movies that don't have conflict in them. We, we like to see movies that have the, the tension in it of light and dark working against each other. And, and of, of course, we hope to see it resolved. We need the antagonists because of the world that we live in. I mean, can you imagine Star Wars without Darth Vader? Actually, I learned something very, I mean, it was sad before service. I learned that one of you here in this room, his name is Peter, has never seen a Star Wars movie. (laughs) Sinful. He will repent in a minute when we do an altar call. And then we can all stone him afterwards. And then Jesus, because Jesus loves him, he's going to resurrect him. I mean, imagine Star Wars. Peter didn't even understand this. Imagine Star Wars without Darth Vader. I mean, um, the movie would be a flop. George Lucas would not. I mean, he wouldn't be the man he is today. He'd be homeless. In the same way, there's a battle between light and darkness, not just physical, but spiritual. And, and the battle is in our hearts. It's between the way that, that God created us in Genesis 1, to, to be in perfect harmony with, with creation and with God and everything working in concert with each other. But then Genesis 3 happens, and everything goes to H-E-double hockey stick. It just goes to, I mean, just it, it just it goes awry. When sin enters the world... It starts the battle. And that's the battle that we're in. And the battle, although it's out here in, in our world, the, the main battle is, is in here, folks. It's the brokenness of your sin, sin sick, selfish self. That's where the battle is. John three nineteen is right. We would rather live in darkness than live in light. We wanna and you know, I don't know how that how this Unfolds in your life, but it's, it's not just in wanting to do bad things, of like going and wanting to just kill somebody. We don't, I mean, that's not who we are, right? Thank God we aren't like that. That's the common grace of God that prevents us from doing that. But I mean, here's some of the stuff that we do we buy things we can't afford. We want to work more hours than we should, and we neglect our family. We want to treat people worse than they deserve to be treated. Our first inclination, because of sin, because of the battle that rages in us isn't to go back to Genesis 1 where things were perfect. I mean, it's to wallow in a life of sin. And so here's the amazing thing about most of the stories that, and the movies that we watch. There's this great part in the movie where somebody's in trouble, things are going wrong. Uh, we're rooting because we're watching for, for all the wrongs to be righted. We want the antagonists to get defeated. We want um, evil to be defeated by good. We want, we want the wrong to be right. I mean, we just want things to turn out right. Good to be overcome by bad. And so, this is what John tells us. When darkness is over all the earth, God looks down from heaven. He sees the battle raging. and And thankfully, God doesn't do this. He doesn't look down and say, Oh my God, look how bad it is down there. They're sucking. I hope they figure this out. He doesn't do that. What does God do? He comes, he takes the second person of the Trinity. He takes his son who's existed in eternity with him forever because, because he, was, he was in the beginning, because he was with God and because he was God and he sends him, causes him to be, to become flesh, to put on human skin and to enter the darkness of our world. And, and Jesus does what is unthinkable he enters our story. He enters the darkness of our story. You know, we read a lot of hopefully you read a lot of books, you've seen a lot of movies. No author does that. Most authors are writing from a third second or third person point of view. They don't enter the story. But this is the amazing thing God does. God enters the story of his own universe. He writes himself in as a character. In Jesus, we see God's powerful rescue and redemption as a part of his own story. And so let me close by sort of relating to how it began. You know, our lives are stories. And whether your story is going well or it might be a horror picture, John's gospel shows us what can happen when God's story intersects with ours, when we come in contact with the gospel, when we see the revelation of Jesus as the word, and he turns the darkness of our lives into light, we see Jesus. And what John is wanting us to do, I mean, some of you, some of you see Jesus just by reading the words. God, and he wants us to get that. He wants you to immerse yourself in the word and that you would see Jesus from it. But some of y'all are stubborn, and you need a miracle. You need a sign. John's going to show you the sign. Wherever you are, wherever you are, let Jesus into your story. Let his story, the story of God that he shows us in the Bible, interact with your story and then believe. Let's pray. Lord God, would we trust that your word is true I pray for those who are here that your word would come off the pages that as we're reading the stories that John presents to us about Jesus and the many people that he interacts with that we would be drawn to it like our like a, a movie on a on a movie screen and that Lord God having Read the words of life, and more importantly, having seen Jesus at his best, coming as a a miracle worker, showing signs, pointing to who God is in our world, that we would have faith in his name, that we would believe that he is the word from the beginning with God, that he is God, more importantly, that we would believe. And it's in Jesus' great name that we pray. Amen and amen.